come through as well. Oh, ah. Final salt. Final is on salt. Get a copy there. Yeah, it's just scatter it. All right. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. Nick here again uh, to host the the podcast from now on. As you were seeing in the last episode, this is our first first one that we got on the regular schedule. So this will be up. Uh, if you're watching this, this would have been posted Thursday night at seven o'clock. It's going to be up Thursday night at seven o'clock from now on as well. So keep an eye out for that. We're sending out some information via email as well when these are going up as well, so you can keep track of when when a new episode is ready to be listened to, watched on whatever platform you're on. Uh, wherever you are listening to it. So today's episode, we're going to get into a bit of an Ask Mets episode. It's going to be the first one we're going to do. We're going to take questions from guys who've sent them in via email through our Mets Mastermind Facebook group, guys that are coming for testing, etc. that we've seen out at races. And if they've asked a question, we're going to put them up here. So had a couple from Mitch, who's a marathon runner, who's aiming for a New York qualifying time. And he's asked a few questions towards the back end of his training cycle around what what he needs to do in the last couple of weeks and then also leading up on race day, what he needs to do immediately prior to the race. So we've got Luke who's going to talk, take us through some of these aspects. And the first one is what's involved in the peaking phase of training? He wants to know what do I need to do in that last little bit of the program, last three, four weeks maybe, to really make sure I'm at my optimal performance level before going into a marathon. Yeah, cool. I mean, look, peaking phase... It's going to be different for everybody. Generally, so we work on about a two-week peaking cycle and then straight into our taper phase, which is a reduction we'll go to later. So peaking essentially is uh, it's a combination of being race-specific. So you know, you're probably only three, maybe four weeks out from your key event. So specificity is obviously really key here. Um, so well, marathon runner was that marathon right? runner, yeah. yeah. So let's use marathon as the example. If he's plan, well, did he say what time he was planning on doing? He's planning on doing New York qualifier, so he's going to do what low three. Let's just say three for the sake of it. So if you're doing a three hour or planning to a three hour marathon, and you're sort of three weeks out, maybe four weeks out, um, a lot of zone three stuff, which is going to be tempo or threshold, it's going to be a race specific stuff. That's that race specific intensity. Um, it's one of the only times in the program I say let's do tempo as opposed to threshold which is higher intensity or endurance which is lower because it's not the most stimulating session but it is the most specific session because that's what you're going to be running at, that's the pace you'll be running at. So you need to get used to that. So a lot of zone 3 stuff um, and zone 5 depending on where you're at. Right, so I'm not going to go get somebody who's doing their first marathon, maybe they're 55 plus years old and have a hit, like injury history to go out and do anaerobic sprints such as 30 seconds maximal sprint, 4 minute recovery. So it's obviously a lot of rest, but it's absolutely flat out maximum effort. Um, I wouldn't get, I'll probably only give that to maybe 20% of people um, because they want to be relatively fit. So in theory, we do zone three, which is our race specific stuff. We do a little bit of zone five once or twice a week, which is short, sharp, really high sprint stuff. That's going to give you that that last sort of three to 5% in adaptation without being too, without providing too much load because it's only, you're probably only sprinting for two and a half, three minutes in total. So it's not that much load, so you can still recover, but it does give you a very good stimulus. Um, for most people, well not for most people, but for people who maybe aren't already at their peak, I would say stick to your zone three as well. So do your tempo run. You might do, you know, it could be 45 minutes low tempo. Um, so if he's doing a three hour marathon, what's that? That's about 4.15 pace, that sounds yeah, about so right. So maybe he starts off at 4.30s and then the next 45 is 4.15s, which is pretty much pace, and maybe we push just above and go 4.10s for the last bit. Um, that would be a zone three, and then you'd probably keep to sort of a VO2 style zone four stuff, which isn't quite as intense, but it's not gonna tear a hammy off the bone either. So um, in summary of that, ideally we do 
our specific zone three, such as tempo, with a little bit once or twice a week of zone five, which is like 30 seconds flat out. But if you're not near your peak or you, you know, have a history of injuries, etc., uh, you can probably replace that with a standard VO2, two on, two off, three on, three off, etc. Yeah, so it's really specific to what you need to do first of all in the race. We're mm -hmm. looking at getting really close to what we can match there, but then also specific to your background, your training history, what you can actually handle because it's going to change whether we do a little bit more of the zone three stuff, whether we can throw a bit of zone five stuff. So you've got to take into consideration where you're at overall. So I think that's probably the key point is don't necessarily need to jump into too many fancy things. It's keep it as simple as you can, as close to race specific as possible. You know, and some extras there, sort of bonuses on the top. Yeah, I mean, the, the primary difference between a peak and a build is that in a peak, we're reducing the load while actually getting more stimulus. Yeah. And that's predominantly through that zone five stuff and you're keeping that race-specific stuff essentially the same as it would be for a build. Yeah, cool. Mitch's next question then comes into the next aspect, and sort of touched on it before with, we've got this peaking phase that then also transitions into a taper phase, and we've all heard of a, a taper pre-race, and we have some sort of idea that we do need to reduce the amount of training we're doing or reduce something in our training to then get us recovered for the race. His question surrounds, what do we need to do to nail a taper first of all, but then how do we balance how recovered we are versus how much training we still need to do so we're not losing fitness going into the race? Yeah, cool. So a taper is, to the book, is a 50% reduction in your training load whilst maintaining the intensity. So it's generally about, everyone's different, but 10 to 14 days is a pretty standard taper, so one and a half to two weeks, and 50% reduction in load. So load being intensity, frequency, and duration. Now, we're not allowed to change intensity because we will lose fitness in 10 days, definitely. So we have to cut our load in half through frequency or duration. There's two things you can do. If you're training six times a week for 60 minutes a session, for example, cut that six down to three. So three by 60 is exactly a 50% reduction. Or you could still do six times a week, but instead of doing 60 minutes, you do 30 minutes. That would also be a 50% reduction. Okay, so for most people, you do a bit of both. Um, so instead of doing, if, example, if we're using six days a week training or six sessions, you might cut it down to four, and those four sessions might be 40 to 45 minutes, if basing it on a 60 minute. So do the math. You can change the frequency or the duration. That's how you change your load. Um, so that's it, 50% for 10 to 12 days yep. should get you... So for, should get you um, peaked and recovered for your race. What was the second part of the question? Second part of the question was how do we how do you balance how recovered you should be? And I guess this might lean into what types of sessions you and probably maybe allude a bit more into the intensity aspect of that taper. Yeah. How recovered should I be by dropping some of this training load, but then also yeah. what what should I be still doing? What are the key sessions in that last week, yeah, week yeah, and a half? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm not losing any of that fitness probably as you touched on that intensity aspect you want to just yeah it's definitely maintain that intensity so you, in theory you'll be coming off your peak phase so you might have done two weeks peak now you've got a 10-day taper so you've been doing the zone three the zone five maintain the zone three half of it so if you're doing a three-hour tempo which is pretty stressful one and a half hours for that last 10 to, 10 to 14 days um, and then same thing with your zone fives like oh, let's just use vo2 most people do vo2 so you might be doing 15 minutes of effort time five by three minutes all right it's easy just do probably do three by three by three minutes and that's close enough to half and then you get to take some off somewhere else or have a rest day or so on and so forth. Yep. Um, I think the key thing with a, with a taper is that you will gain so much more by being coming into a race recovered than you will through any sort of training stimulus that you get. We, we only adapt when we recover. If, if you push yourself hard in that final week, 
you're going to decline in fitness. Your, your decline in fitness is going to be so much more than if you'd done even nothing, even nothing, that would still recover you ready for the race. So the key here is to keep the intensity. We only need to do two, sometimes three, depending on you, two or three sessions a week of high intensity for 20 minutes and you'll maintain your VO2 max. So uh, where people go wrong is they reduce the intensity. They say, look, I'm in my, in my taper, I'm going to go out, do my normal three hour run, but instead of going at four, 30 pace, I'm going to go at 5.30 pace, they reduce the intensity, they lose yep. fitness, guys, fitness, oh, sorry, not fitness, intensity is the key to maintaining and improving that fitness in that taper, so 50% off, um, keep the intensity the same, you can't really go wrong other than that, you know, have a, a, a rest day, two or one or two days prior, obviously, just yep. time it well, but um, reduce by 50%, keep the intensity exactly the same. Perfect. Last little bit on that, you mentioned sort of 7 to 14 days is the by the book taper period, for guys who are wondering... Should it be seven? Should it be ten days? Should it be fourteen days? Are there any guidelines around maybe the length of your event? You might do a longer taper versus a shorter taper. Yeah. Is it individualized? Is everyone going to be the same? Say we're all doing a marathon, are we all going to taper for ten days? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So I think uh, so. I think it's ten to fourteen that says by the book. Um, yeah, it's an individual thing. Like I know a lot of athletes, myself included, to be honest, is I don't feel great after having a week. At 50% load the next week I feel a bit sluggish and the week after I feel fantastic so some people might um, they might even keep it at, at you know 10 to 14 days but they might actually do that 21 days out and then have a week of sort of relatively normal training um, because that's how their body responds so the short answer to this is there is it's individual like whatever works for you is going to work for you um, I would obviously start off by recommending trying to do it you know 10 the long, I mean, the longer the event, the longer recovery you need. If you're doing a marathon, take, take you know, 10 to 12, maybe even 14. My, my go-to is 10 to 12 for most people. If you've just got an Olympic distance try, you're probably okay. six days is yep. probably plenty. All right? If you've got an Ironman, I'd take the full 14. But um, the short answer is you're going to know how, how, how well your body, how much rest your body needs to feel like it's at its peak. But I would say my go-to is is more is going to be better. Okay, You're better off taking 14 and you know, having one or two days wasted rather than doing seven to ten and, and coming in fatigue. Yeah, Start perfect. with 14 and we'll work your way back. Yeah, always give yourself more recovery time because your body will adapt in recovery as opposed to stressing it out and fatiguing it pre-event, pre I think is the key thing there. Last question Mitch had that he wants to have answered is right down on race day. So we've covered the lead-in now, the, the previous couple of weeks before we get there. On race day, he's about to head to the starting line. He's got a little bit of time pre-race after he's arrived. What does he need to do in terms of warming up for that race? You mentioned that you see you might see footy teams, things like that, will go do some strides, relatively high intensity, but they're getting rest periods between. They do warm up, they stop, start. Marathon, he's just continuously running for, for three hours. So is it worth doing any sort of warm up prior, but then if it is, what should we be doing immediately before that race to then get into the next mm. couple of hours of continuous work? Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's already, there's a lot of factors that play a part. What's the temperature like? Um, do you say which? It's obviously New York qualifier. What's the New York qualifier? I don't know. He's, he did a Melbourne. He did Melbourne last year. That was, I think, his last marathon. Yeah, yeah. It really just comes down to, to the climate as well. Um, like, so we had Jody who just did Tokyo, and it was like one well, in the single single figure degrees. So it was quite cold. Um, look, a warm up. The warm up is going to vary depending on the climate and also what your goal is. Like, if you're just going out there to, to trot along it, you know, and finish the race, which obviously um, isn't the case in this circumstance, you probably don't need to do much of a warm up because you, you, you're going to be able to ease into it and you're going to, to save your carb stores and, and ease into it that way. Um, it, if you're at the elite level, 
it could be a pretty high pace at the beginning and you're going to have that anaerobic contribution. So you want to make sure that all your acute yeah. responses, heart rate, ventilation, etc., are, are matched at that so that you can be going probably at and above threshold for the first five to 15 minutes yeah. just to stay, to stay on top. So it really depends on what the intensity is. If you've got a set pace that you can do at, then again, it's individual, I would say, look, you want to do something, five or 10 minutes just of jogging would be fine. If you're feeling tight, then do some strides and do some dynamic stretching. Um, but I wouldn't do too much either, like, unless it's really cold, I wouldn't do too much, unless you're thinking I need to sit in this pack because uh, you're trying to win or you know, trying to win yep. this race yep. and you might have to go a bit beyond your threshold every now and then, I'd just say you know, five or ten minutes, general jogging, maybe three to five 50 metre strides just to really get it moving, any sort of dynamic leg swings, quad pulls that you need to do just to get the body moving and loosen up would be fine because uh, I say we don't want to start tapping into too much of our carb stores. Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's balancing that. We don't want to you know, almost burn ourselves out before we start. But then I guess something from a, a few guys who've raced recently that I've sort of been working with, they've sort of been saying that they almost get a bit of their warm-up done in that first couple of Ks. When everyone's in this mass bunch start, there's thousands of people around, you can't really get out and start running your pace anyway. So you might be able to get a bit of a lead-in lead in warm-up in that first couple of Ks. Yeah. Not ideal, as you said, though. If you've got clear space, you obviously want to be able to hit your pace from, from the word go. Yeah, I mean that's it. So we've got we've got Dan racing Mansfield um, to a Mansfield on the on the bike next not this weekend the following. Um, I've just written him up a thirty five minute warm up because he's going to be start start off with a time trial. Mm -hmm. You're on threshold and and beyond straight from the straight, go. So he's got thirty five minutes, which is made up of basically twenty minutes of building up to his FTP, and then we've got efforts between thirty seconds and two minutes at and beyond that because you need to be ready to go a hundred percent from the get go. But if you're not racing in that elite category or you're trying to follow somebody who's as fit or fitter, you've probably got a little bit more leeway just to ease into it during that mass start, as you said. So yep. it comes down to what your goals are. Yeah, cool. So definitely a specificity type thing, sort of getting used to what, what you might be able to do to warm yourself up best, but then also what you're, what you're required to do in the event, I think is a key theme. You, you need to work to that as well. So thanks for those questions from Mitch. They're really great to, to sort of give us uh, a few points to, to go off. I'm sure plenty of other guys have similar questions. We've heard the warm-up question. I know I've heard that a lot over the mm. last sort of six to eight months. Guys asking, what should I do in a warm-up? We've discussed here as well what we should what we should prescribe to guys. So great question. So kick off the Ask Mets episode. We're going to be doing one of these uh, every month. So if you've got any questions, send them through to nick at metsperformance.com. So we'll answer them on the podcast. If it's something that we can answer, we'll, we'll work it out between ourselves and put up the podcast. Otherwise, if it's something that we might need to get an expert in, we're happy to get someone in to, to answer those questions for you as well. So it's the best way to get your questions, but then a question that someone else might have as well answered uh, in the easiest way easiest way possible. So thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Physiology Secrets. This will be up on Facebook, YouTube, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you like to watch, listen to it. It will be there for you to have a look uh, and download, listen to it, and of course, send through those questions when you do have them so we can answer them on those monthly podcasts. Thanks again for, for listening. We'll see you in the next podcast. I've got to get a better finish. Yeah, just okay. literally right there. Yeah, yeah, literally just right there. How was that?